0: Another episode of Total Reboot, new release reviews, where I look at some of the new release movies that are coming out, and this week we're looking at the new film from director James Gray. It's called Armageddon Time. And joining me to review this new film is a dear friend of the podcast, a frequent guest and the host of Big Squid, one of the great popular culture podcasts going right now. It is Justin Hamilton.
1: When you said Do you want to talk about a new release, I was horrified that the next words were going to be Black Adam. So when you said Armageddon <laughs> time, I was absolutely relieved.
0: I have yet to venture into the realm of DC's greatest anti-hero played by Dwayne the Rock Johnson, Black Adam, because I fear it will blow my mind. It will blow your mind. Oh,
1: it's so complex. That's, uh, that's the thing. You, know, you just sit there and you go, wow, this is like an Escher drawing come to life in superhero form.
0: Wow, okay. Justin, you sold me on it. I'm going to put it as my number one favourite movie of the year, regardless if I get to check it out or not. Yeah, that's the best way to do it, too. I gotta get some more of those comic book fans as listeners of the podcast somehow. Uh, But Hamo, (laughs) thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. I was delighted and surprised to be sat next to you during a little screening of this new film uh, Armageddon Time Um, and we got to spend the afternoon together having a brief discussion about it, but I thought we should go on the record after we've stewed on a little bit to talk about this new kind of semi-autobiographical film from a great filmmaker, James gray he's made uh i think some really fantastic movies he made this trilogy of crime films or loose trilogy they're not sequels they're just a trilogy of crime films set in the part of new york that he's from uh starting with little odessa then going to the yard starring mark Wahlberg, and then closing that out with uh joaquin phoenix mark Wahlberg crime film that i think is highly underrated called we own the night yeah um and his films always kind of deal with uh, his Russian Jewish migrant heritage, those films at least. And then he's gone on to make films that I think are really pushing what he what he is capable of. With like Ad Astra and uh, The Lost City of Z, uh, these kind of like delves deeper into his Francis Ford Coppola Francis Ford Coppola, like um, uh, kind of, I think that he's very much like in that Francis Ford Coppola mode of telling like his own stories, yeah. But then trying to achieve something bigger. Are you familiar with his work at all?
1: Yeah, I've uh, seen a-, a few of those movies, and uh, you know, Ad Astra is maybe not a movie that one hundred percent works, but it mm. is also a hundred percent in my wheelhouse. Absolutely. So So uh, even though I can sort of sit there and if if, if- Someone was to say to me, I, "I don't like this part, or I don't think this part works." I'm not going to argue that, but I still think, uh, as a as a broad palate cleanser of, of movie making, I, I think it's quite extraordinary. And I'd, I'd always rather see someone take a big swing and, you know, get a partial connection than someone just, you know, churning out the same stuff.
0: I'm right there with you. I didn't quite uh, fall in love with Ad Astra, but I think there's enough in there that I've been kind of compelled to put it on the re-watch watch list for a while because it has truly some spectacular visuals and yeah. it hits like this tone that you don't see very often in science fiction cinema where it feels, you know, it's quite an adult sci-fi film. Yeah. Um, but I was very much excited to see him return to his... Uh, New York City roots, picking up with something more autobiographical than anything he's done before, and heading back to that borough neighborhoods that he grew up in uh, with this tale of a migrant family, this portrait of a family uh, in New York in the early 1980s. Let's get into our discussion on Armageddon time. The United States stands for an idea. People have more money than God. Our ship is coming. You'll yes, see. Time is now. Let's do it. Let's go.
1: you not to associate with him again.
0: Why? Be thankful when you get a leg up. Never forget the past because you never know when they may come looking for you. America, the land of dreams. Armageddon time. The latest film from director James Gray is a deeply personal story about the strength of family, the complexity of friendship and the generational pursuit of the American dream. The film follows Banks repeater a newcomer actor, as Paul Graff, the stand in for James Gray, as a young boy who is kind of in that coming of age range, that mm. flux between adolescence and teenager life, that mm. tween, if you will, uh, he has some creative pursuits. He loves painting, he loves artistry, and his grandfather is someone who keeps fostering that in him. His mm. grandfather's played magnificently by one of the greats, Anthony Hopkins. And he is in that moment of flux, as we all are in this time period, the 1980s. America is having a shift to conservatism, uh, with Ronald Reagan on the cusp of taking out that top-tier position as US president. Uh, And even the title of this film, Armageddon Time, comes from Rhetoric by Reagan himself. This is a movie about this young boy's life, his friendship he has with a young black teenager as well, and how the differences in their life take shape. Uh, It feels like a very personal film for James Gray. feels almost like something that he's needed to get off his chest for quite some time. Mm. Where do you feel like this film sits in what James Gray has been going for and the evolution of his career, Hammer?
1: It's a really fascinating film. Uh, Early on, it felt like a Woody Allen movie with some of the- Like Radio Days is something I kept thinking about. Yes, that's what I was thinking of as well. And- uh, especially the the extended family and how vibrant mm. they were uh, it's it's a it's a bit funny actually uh, I said to you after the film that I, I could have done with another 10 15 minutes of movie mm-hmm. time and it was specifically because I was pretty entranced with that family and I wanted mm. to spend more time with them and I, I I didn't feel like I quite got the amount of time that I needed and and wanted it's interesting what you say about this is a movie that he feels like he needed to make and get something off his chest because it's got really interesting choices in storytelling, mm. such as I think that little boy, uh, Banks Repeater, is that how you pronounce his name?
0: I think in, so. I'm not too familiar with his work. so
1: What a, what a little star. And yeah. he was pretty great, but I felt like his character wasn't always written to be completely empathetic. And I I like that, uh, but I think there is there's a real art to that. You know, you, it, it's very difficult to get that right. And uh, getting all the way through the film, it's interesting. The lesson that he learns isn't necessarily a lesson that is in any way triumphant, and it's also mm. very internal. So I think initially watching the film... I felt a little bit removed from it emotionally, even though I was enjoying it and even though I was happy to be there. I didn't quite feel anything, but it was interesting. Well, after I left you, and much later last night, uh, my appreciation for the film seemed to have grown because I still continued to think about it. And uh, in many ways, I think it's in this present climate quite a uh, brave movie to make because it doesn't have any histrionics
0: in any way. Mm. And I would say, like, on the simmer for me as well, that my apprecian- for appreciation for this film grew. In particular... That idea of perspective—I'm uh, very interested in like coming-of-age films and teen films in particular. When it comes to like that idea of perspective of how we understand the world around them, being interpreted through the eyes of these young people, I think this is a magnificent young performance uh, because there is that scrappiness about it, and mm. it, it. But it also is someone who's in conflict uh, with how they present themselves mm. and then, like how they want to be seen by others and how they feel like they should be seen and kind of what is the ideal version of them. And I think one thing that perhaps on the simmer has really grown for me um, in appreciation is almost this lack of resolution to the yes, film. Yes, yes. And I think walking out of it, my immediate reaction was kind of like, and what was this an, an exercise of? And like, yeah. what was the point of this? But I think because this film has some... Like, I think James Gray is trying to tackle some societal issues that were relevant to the 1980s, and then we've had them uh, continue to be relevant, Mm. uh, that I felt like it was a bit of, like, a poor stab at them. But I think the resonance for me sticks and grows in that there is no resolution because this is a young person. This is someone who's going to continue to face and interpret those issues and the way he interacts with different people in his society. Um, I think that was really interesting. And I think it is a real credit to the two uh, young actors, Banks mm. Repeater and also Jalen Webb who Ooh. plays Johnny, his friend, wow. um, who is from a different background. He's a black child. Yeah. Uh, he is from a different socioeconomic background he lives with his grandmother who can't really look after him yeah. and he really is like that kind of latchkey kid that has to like go out and look after themselves for their whole life and I think that what this film really captures is that the the kind of rut that the education system can put onto people like this that may have like a different learning ability while still keeping like their own wisdom and their own interests, and in showing like how smart they can be and how capable they are in areas that are uh, that areas that can be nurtured elsewhere outside of school.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting because one of the things that I think makes it difficult to interpret and to kind of get a uh, a point of view on is the fact that James Gray kind of presents his story. And it has themes like that, that the education system is stretched even back then beyond its capabilities of being able to deal with individuals and help them uh, grow in a way that benefits them specifically. But also, it's, it's not judgmental, in my mm. opinion, anyway. I, I, I didn't think he was judging anybody, even though some people do some stuff that is hard to watch. You know, like even, even the teacher... That at the start of the movie, because he presents uh, the young fella, Paul, as being a little bit naughty, uh, I I wasn't against the teacher kind of Mm. being angry with him. And he'd already obviously had a year with the character of Johnny, who has been held behind. So... Yeah, maybe he is at breaking point. Like, maybe the issue at the school isn't just for the kids, but it's also for the teachers as well, because they're they're as stretched as anybody else. But then it's interesting, like, you know, the the father in uh, Jeremy Strong, he is... Violence. He is a violent mm. man, but it's not violence that looks like it comes naturally. It looks like a learned violence mm. that when he needs to exhibit some sort of control, it's like a go-to. And then I, I felt like a, a very interesting moment is uh, when they're sitting in the car when he's there with the mm. two boys and he's discussing, you know, how a certain person had had a huge influence on him and accepted him. It's like, oh man, you've come from an awful background. Uh, I think Anne Hathaway is really good in a role that is not flashy at all. She's mm. obviously under lots of stress. And once again, Paul is... You know, there's no easy answers. Like, in a lesser film, we would have been told that he had ADHD or something, or we would have been given a reason for his behaviour that's quite ethereal in a way. But instead, we're just presented with this story and we're left to interpret it the way we want to interpret it. And in the end, even the final scene is, at the time, a bit, ah, okay, but I have thought about that last scene a lot and what it might mean for that boy moving on.
0: Let's get into some more talk about those performances because I think they are really fantastic. Uh, Like you said, Jeremy Strong, I think it is an instance of rather inspired casting because originally in this role before COVID put the production at a standstill early on, uh, this character was cast uh, with the actor Oscar Isaac in the role. And I think Oscar Isaac just- I I think it's a completely different movie with him in it because he captures such an intimidating stature, Yeah, whereas Jeremy Strong- I think kind of... He captures... Like, you know, he is... There's something about Jeremy Strong, and I use this as a compliment, that there's something kind of goofy about him. Like, he looks like a goofy dad. Yeah. And to cast him as someone with, like, a bit of sternness and strictness about them. Yeah. But then every now and then he's undercut by sweetness or even a dorky, goofy dadness. Like, I think that works so well. And I think that he captures, you know, he is a method actor through and through, and he captures, like, this reality of a guy that... It would be like a dorky sitcom dad if there was like a sweeter tone to this. And I found it just to be a fascinating performance. And he and Anne Hathaway kind of going toe to toe and slowly understanding their partnership through the perspective of their son. is something that really is probably what has encouraged me to simmer on this film more. Because when you think about it, this film captures that essence so well of... Being a child and seeing your parents' relationship and seeing the world around you and slowly kind of interpreting what the reality of those really is... And I think they are magnificent. Two other performances I'd love to say, and I'm not going to reveal who they play in it because I think that there is some real juiciness in the surprise of it, yes. is a cameo performance by Jessica Chastain and John Deal um, as two people giving a guest lecture speech at the prestigious private school that uh, the Paul Graf character goes to yeah. uh, in this movie. Um, I was absolutely delighted by that inclusion, and it was such a kind of interesting surprise. And it's more a wrinkle than saying anything too detailed about society in casting those people as those real-life people. Um, But as well, I think that there is one performance in here that has a potential to get some kind of uh, a buzz around them by a very prestigious actor. Um, It is Anthony Hopkins as the grandfather of this boy. and.
1: Great. Just like, I know it seems Mm -hmm. like a real, oh, Anthony Hopkins was good. Yeah, Mm -hmm. good podcast, guys. But guess what? He's fucking great. (laughs) He's so good. There's a a moment where he's talking to his grandson in Paul and uh, he gets angry. And the way he gets angry is... It's fascinating because it's it's full of passion, but his voice never rises, and it's it's it just becomes more determined, and it's about the language that he uses, and it's interesting. What what I loved about that scene was that Paul isn't scared of his grandfather because mm. it's it's a it's a different kind of anger. It's a you know it's 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 more a. It, it's it's more a passionate disappointment and needing to teach a lesson at this precise moment to his grandson, whereas his father, Jeremy Strong, who, you know, we see him at times dancing and being, as you said, goofy, but then it's like, oh, now I have to be the angry dad, you know, and that is performative, And mm. but I don't think is something that comes to that character quite naturally. And so uh, Anthony Hopkins is just just a
0: treat. Mm, And I just think that, I I think my immediate reaction to it was, this is a miscasting. You said that. I did say that because, you know, uh, this feels like such a New York chronicle. And it felt like, to me, a tragedy that it wasn't like a New York actor in this role. Like, you know. Pacino. actors of that age, Pacino, De Niro, Dustin Hoffman is not really a New York guy. But, you know, they're people that immediately fit that mold. Christopher Walken.
1: We could have gone walking, right?
0: Absolutely. And I I, I know that Robert De Niro was originally cast before Anthony Hopkins stepped in when the production was restarted. Right.
1: Interesting. I feel like uh, De Niro's missed out on a really good Mm -hmm. part.
0: De Niro might have missed out on an Oscar, I'd say, if it was him in it. I feel like that could be the kind of thing that gets really pushed hard. Yeah. But there is that sweetness that is so inherent about Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. Uh, Which is so strange to think about the guy that played Hannibal Lecter as his most iconic role. But when you get to know him as the real man behind his performances over the last few years, the man is so undeniably sweet and charming and so overtly caring Mm. that I think that it captures that and I think the way that he kind of embodies this character with like the history of the family. Yes. it creates the like the depth to this snapshot. To me, yes. a lot of this movie feels like a snapshot because there's a lot of specific events that don't even find resolutions yeah, or specific things that the characters are going through that just feel like the things that happen in real life. like they just don't have a resolution because they just peter out. You might not get fully an in-depth insight into who some people are. yeah, but um, that's because that's what this is. It's a portrait from a point in time. And these lives continue on and begin on either side of it. And I think that he's like he bringing in the history and kind of speaking about like, you know, the speaking about like his journey as a migrant and his parents' journey as migrants and like their Jewish heritage uh, in and throughout history, I think it was really quite beautifully done, quite superb. Yeah, and I don't think there's many other actors that could imbue it so. Softly And so remembered as he does
1: Even the way he just kind of calls his grandson Jellybean It's Mm. it's such a throwaway moment in, in, you know It's not like it has a specific reason It's just the nickname that he's got for his grandson But every time he says it, you go Oh yeah, I can understand why this little fella loves his granddad Mm -hmm. so
0: much yeah. And, uh to the point that he always calls him my good man, which I think is so cute as well. It's,
1: you know, it's uh, little things like that, which they're the things that I keep coming back to, even though, because in, in a strange way, it doesn't work as a movie because it doesn't mm. uh, bring those resolutions that we're used to uh, in normal films. Uh, mm. But the resolutions, they're... they're they're kind of broader in a way. And to, you know, there's two characters that are quite close all the way through it who then there's a point where you go, oh, I have a feeling they're not going to see each other again. And I think in a lesser movie, you would have had a moment between the two of them. But in this, it just goes on. And I I think that's what you're getting at when you say, this feels like a film that James Gray Had to make this is a film that James Gray, in some way, I know this is fiction, but there's got to be something in the back of his head that haunts him from his youth that's found its way out in this piece of art, and uh, in the end, it does feel like uh, there is a moment of triumph, but it, you know, it's not Judd Nelson running down the the pitch pumping his fist in the air it's it's the opposite of that it's it's a, a moment where you think ah, oh, i think i understand where this kid will probably be in 30 years
0: yeah i agree and he might be making a movie just like this
1: yeah exactly so no i thought it was uh as i said to you a, a, an interesting experience to sit there and then just be able to turn around to someone like yourself and go well, I had a good time and I enjoyed it, but I just don't know how I feel about it. And then I caught up briefly with a friend and said something similar. And then I was pottering about, you know, pretending to do work for something else that I was meant to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was just thinking about this movie quite a bit. And the more I thought about it, the more it's uh, really kind of hit home for me.
0: I think this movie is worth your time. I would say that I think it's worth your time, especially if you've experienced some of James Gray's other movies. Um, I think he's a really interesting filmmaker that's making like some really adult-oriented films mm. that we don't see very often. They're yeah. very mature films that do feel like that. Like Francis Coppola is the only person I ever really compare him to because I think that's really what he does. Hammer, you've had some time to think about it. Mm. What kind of star rating are you looking at uh, for?
1: Well, it's, it's funny. I reckon if you had asked me yesterday, I probably would mm-hmm. have given it a three. And mm-hmm. and to me, three is good. Like three is a good yes, film. Yes, three
0: is really good. You know,
1: I agree. I, I'd even say that two and a half is, you know, probably still mm-hmm. watchable. So three is, it, it's a good film. I reckon it's probably today up at around three and a half. And I reckon mm-hmm. maybe if you get back to me at the end of the year, if I've had time to check it out one more time, it might be up at a
0: four. I think I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. I'm giving it a three and a half, but... Sometimes these films take a little while to marinate and even after one day, my appreciation has gone to from being somewhat like, you know, plus to being very plus to being, you know, slowly I think I could be charmed enough to fall in love with this movie. I'm going to join you on three and a half, but I also join you in saying people should check out this movie, should go seek it out, Um, especially if you're looking for something perhaps a little bit more mature um, than you know some other current offerings and especially in that kind of prestige film department i think this is quite wonderful
1: yeah and if you're if you're going to see it uh just be prepared to engage like you're gonna have to kind of think your way through it and uh i think if you do that i think you have a really enriched experience
0: Hamo thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today uh you've got big squid uh, one of the great pop culture podcasts you're doing some really interesting and fun stuff you're jumping around a lot with what you cover
1: Oh, yeah, it's all over the place. You know, I have broad interests, so mm-hmm. I I personally get bored if I'm just, you know, focusing on the one thing. So uh, on Mondays we have a little mini podcast called Chitter Chatter where uh, I alternate between Brighton Coverdale from The Chase and Adam Richard who... They just give us a little fact that you can take to work or you can take to school, and it just gives you an opportunity to talk about something that isn't the awfulness of the world at the moment. But, but we've got interviews up with uh, Hollywood director Nick Stoller. Uh, I've also. Bros. Who just uh, directed the film Bros, which I thought was really funny. And. Uh, uh, coming up, you know, we've got our Osploitation segment. We, we, we're covering a movie called Stunt Rock, which is insane.
0: Oh, I love Stunt Rock. So Brian good. Brian Trenchard-Smith is a real <laughs> hero of mine. <laughs> oh, I'm man. currently reading a book by him. Um, and I've been lucky enough to interview him, I think, two or three times. Yeah, he great. came out here a few years ago with some new restorations of his films. And I got to host, like, I think three Q&As with him around town. And it was just like... I, I'm I idolize that man because he makes some really ripper movies and Stunt Rock is among his best. It's a really odd kind of look into like movie making in Hollywood with via Grant Page, Australia's greatest stunt man, playing himself as a hunk doing all these real stunts that he's often done, <laughs> while also being, I guess, the manager of like a wizard like uh, uh, glam metal rock group.
1: Yeah, called Sorcery. And mm-hmm. y- you you sit there the whole time going, what's real? What's not real? Are they intending us for uh, us to not know what is real and not real? Anyway, it's it's really uh, a fantastic film and a, a hell of an experience. Uh, and we've also got uh, on the podcast we've got uh, uh, beautiful tales for the Disenchanted coming up, which is. Uh, once an, uh, every now and again, we put up a short story that I've written and uh, Sean Allen produces. So, we just like to keep everyone on their toes with uh, what we're giving people over there.
0: It's awesome. And Cameron and I recently were on it just uh, a week or so ago. So, check that out. Yeah, it's uh- a great chat. Thanks so much, Hamo. I love you, brother. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. Uh, And thank you to all you listeners for listening to the podcast. If you want to hear more from Cameron and I, you can head over to patreon.com slash totalreboot. Sign up for just five bucks a month to get access to bonus podcasts. I just did an episode with Maria Lewis where you looked at horror films from 2022 and the state of the genre as it is right now as a little Halloween bonus treat for you. And of course, Finding Yeezus has wrapped up. The whole series is out there right now. It's been so awesome getting so many great messages from all of you uh, about how moved you were by it. And honestly, I freaking had a little cry when I got so many nice messages. (laughs) That's nice. So, thank you so much to everyone that's engaged with it and uh, please share it amongst your friends and it's all out Uh, we want to make it the biggest success in the history of mankind and motion pictures so we're pretty (laughs) close but if you guys can keep pushing it I think we can get there (laughs) Armageddon Time is actually out now in cinemas I'll say that at the end of the podcast so check it out thanks for joining me Hammer. thank you